Hello, hello. Welcome to Making a Marketer. Hello, hello. Here we are live. Hello, hello. This is Megan Powers. Welcome to episode 16 with Powers of Marketing. Hello, this is Jen Cole. Hey, thanks for having me. Today is episode 25. That's pretty awesome. It's a milestone. Five, six, seven. It's real. What's up, world? 81 episodes, and this is my love. This is that episode 99 of the Making a Marketer podcast, and we will see you at 100. Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one hundred. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast. If this is your first time listening, you picked a stellar episode. And to our current listeners, thank you for coming along for the ride. To all y'all, this is episode Episode 100. 100. 100. Jen and I couldn't be more excited. The excitement is for the milestone, of course, and for our absolutely amazing guest. But first, Jen and I would like to take a little walk down memory, 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 memory. Cool. 100. 100 episodes. Yo. Yeah, that's that's freaking amazing. I'm <laughs> I'm still so blown away by it. Like looking back on this entire thing, it's just mind blowing to think like where we started. One little question. I believe you asked me if I would be interested at social media marketing world a few years back. And like to think now where we are, what we've been through, it's pretty wild. Yeah. So I think that, well, I think I first got you to join in on that AV podcast. And then after you did that a few times, then I think it was that summer after the first world that I met you. And then we started that in August of 2017. Yes, that's what it is. Wow. It seems like a lifetime ago. It really, really does. It does. And I listened back to early shows, you know, they felt, it all felt good. (laughs) And then, you know, you think about, oh, we've come so far, right? (laughs) I know. I remember like back when I was like afraid to banter, like I was so afraid of interrupting and now I'm just like, I have some personality the whole entire thing. And I think yeah. people really like that kind of, you know, genuine feel. And it's pretty freaking awesome to be so comfortable doing this. Whereas we started, like, I was like, I don't know what if I get yeah. anything wrong. Uh, I love it. I love it. So I thought it would be fun to take just a little stroll down memory lane. We won't go on for too long. Um, and that anyone who has not listened before, then maybe we'll have some episodes uh, to, to go back to. Um, in addition to, you know, showing some love to our speakers. And so we are going to share just a few episodes each and just talk about why it's one of our favorite episodes. And then we'll kick it off with our fantabulous guest. All right. What's your first one, Jen? My first one is fresh in my memory. And I think it's because it's tied to my new job and tied to, you know, it's tied specifically to what I do as a profession, but that is this, what episode was, and I believe it was 96 with Dan Gingas and it's making shareable content and you know his whole entire thing with customer experience is just fascinating to me it's something that I completely eat up as a person that is devoted to building community and I can't get over that episode I, I had so much fun it was such a hype session for me and you know going into the new year yeah well and he had been on before as well and there's so there's so much crossover now with customer experience and how mm-hmm. it really goes hand in hand with marketing with community which is obviously obviously part of marketing but now community yeah. is becoming its own thing too yeah. like yeah chief community officer is the new cmo i think is a quote that i've heard so yes that. and dan's just you know great guest so yeah that's definitely a good one he gave a lot of really good tip and that was in december so yeah so go ahead and look that episode up that wasn't too long ago but then yeah he was on previously i think season three so i'm going way back go way back girl i just wanted to like think about what stood out and episode 11 is one that really stands out to me our friend elizabeth Lau was also hosting with us then and we finished it and all three of us just looked at each other like we get to do this this is so amazing and i think elizabeth said I'm so glad I'm doing a podcast with you guys because if I wasn't doing one, I would really feel like this is something I should be doing or something to that effect. So, I mean, Amanda, yeah, well, and our (laughs) guests, I love having two guests on who totally drive off each other. And our guests, Amanda Robinson and Kiki Latellian had never met, but it was like, they were best friends by the end of the show. Like they shared a brain. (laughs) (laughs) It was fate. It was fate. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And that we talked about branding on yeah. that one and it, it kind of, it evolved. I, I also really like when a show, when we think it's going to be one thing and it becomes mm -hmm. something else. That's kind of why I try not to title the shows before we do them. <laughs> and if I can avoid it, live shows are difficult because you have to, because you have to schedule and everyone has to see like what yeah. the show is going to be about. But yeah, they, they both talked about how making themselves as individuals the face of their company really exploded, you know, what they were doing and really grew their their brands and their businesses. Yeah. And isn't it fun to look back at where they are now compared to back yeah. then? Like they've they've made leaps and bounds. It's been phenomenal watching and getting to, you know, as a friend and as a, a fellow marketer, getting to watch these things unfold over the last few years. It's been something else. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kiki's so been a legend herself. I mean, Kiki's yeah. been a podcaster and a live broadcaster before any of us even knew like what, what it was. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, she has <laughs> talk about consistency, which is going to be my next one, but what's your, what's your next one? You know, I have to go ahead and say that my next one is definitely relationship marketing with Jessica Phillips and that, you know, that's, that's pretty far back there too. I can't remember what year it was, but I do know that it was episode 34 and you know, it's relationship marketing. Her, her whole thing is be a magnet, not a megaphone. Don't go in with sales breath. Don't be like constantly promoting your stuff. You're supposed to be building relationships, you know, marketing a funnel, it's a flywheel, all that good stuff. And just, and you know, when you have Jessica on any show or in any conversation, or even just across from you at the dinner table, it's pretty much the, pretty much the most uplifting experience you can ever imagine. She is a phenomenal person. She is a fantastic leader. And it was really cool to eventually work for her. I worked for her for about 15 months. And that was after she'd been on our podcast. And tell you what, she's an amazing woman to work for as well. That's awesome. Yeah, she's great. You're always going to feel heard. And you're always going to feel like you um, have definitely learned something from her. There's no question. Yeah. No yeah. question. No question. You know, when they talk about how people may not remember what you say, but they will remember how you make them feel. That is, oh my gosh, it's all good, warm, fuzzy, sunshine, good vibes <laughs> from Jessica Phillips at all times. <laughs> no question. It's funny too, because this is going to end up seeming like we've just picked all of our friends um, in these <laughs> ones. But um, my next one is the one, episode 42 with Damian Ross. Um, we talked about oh. creating consistent content. So he, yeah. there's a few things about this one. First of all, I made a joke in the beginning based on what something I thought that he had said to me, which it turned out he hadn't, <laughs> but he's like, but that's awesome. I honestly laughed out loud to myself for the next week, just thinking about the recording of the episode. And then Kendra Losey said, that was such a great episode. You guys did such a good job. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's hilarious. Yeah. So he recorded and published a video 1000 days in a row. Yeah. So we talked about that and, you know, what it takes to be consistent. And I felt like too today with us being at 100, that <laughs> talking about that would be good as well, because obviously we've stayed consistent two episodes a month, basically uh, save a summer break here or there. But yeah, but he's, he's such an awesome guy. And he, he talked about, he's also done a lot. We first had, because that was his second time being on since we first yeah. had him on in season one. So yeah, I, I just love that guy. I do too. I, I can't get enough Damien Ross. He's just so, you know, inspiring and, and to see like how much he has grown over the last few, yeah, ever since so that spun up a whole new lifestyle for the man. Like he is right. living a completely different way than he did at the beginning of that whole entire thing. It's pretty amazing. Damien's story is just fantastic. And the, you know, the things that the products that have come from <laughs> this whole thing that started with, you know, what, the road to 300 and then it ended up being the road right. to 1000 like that yeah he just he rode the momentum he found something that worked consistently and you know he had his up days and he had his down days and yeah. i think people just really really loved how open and authentic Real. he was yeah yeah, yeah absolutely all right Good cool stuff. well okay let's do one more each and then we, briefly and then <laughs> we will just quickly talk about the next 100. <laughs> What's your next one? All right. Well, my number three, and I feel like that it's helped me a lot professionally with this podcast was episode 40 with Eric Fisher talking about marketing of podcasts, because I feel like 
ever since we had Eric on, you know, Eric is the king of productivity. He has this amazing podcast called Beyond the To-Do List, and he's always giving these tips about how to be more productive and efficient. And it's been pretty amazing to see, you know, we all have our processes of automation or we all have our processes of how we want to schedule our content, especially promoting a podcast. Uh, He gave us some really phenomenal ideas that I feel like over the last couple of years have really taken them, flown with them and done something freaking amazing with our podcast. And I think that we took a lot of great nuggets from what Eric brought to the table. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Mine is a, this is a really hard decision. (laughs) to make between, <laughs> all right, I'm going to go Angus Nelson with episode oh, 90. Mm-hmm. So how to ask the right questions is the name of the show. And he just basically, he got us all thinking a lot about curiosity and how important it is to ask questions. And I think it can be applied to like everything we do in business, whether you're in sales, whether you're a marketer, whether no matter what your role is, especially in, if you're in leadership, but not necessarily just if you're in leadership, mm-hmm. ask questions and really show a genuine sense of curiosity. He just gave us so many good tips on that. Like I, it's one you'll yeah. listen to probably more than, more than one. Oh, oh my gosh. I know. Like it is another one of those that I'm like, ah, <laughs> why didn't I add that in my top three? Because that I still remember like him specifically asking, what do you want? Like, think about what do you want? Gosh, it was such a powerful like episode that just sticks with you and were we crying at some point during that episode because I feel like we're, we like wrote a lot of emotions on that one and it was I such a great experience he made me cry when I saw him speak at uh, social media week live <sighs> but I don't think we yeah. I don't think we did on this on this one <laughs> <laughs> If not, <laughs> listeners, you won't cry. You'll just get some good, get some good stuff. All right. So the next 100, where do you want to take the show? I feel like right now we're just the momentum that we're writing. It's kind of a new thing. And I feel like it can be a mixture of revisiting certain guests and seeing kind of where they've come and where they've gone. And, you know, we've done that before, especially with our episodes where we have everyone off, you know, the reunion Reunions, episodes. Yeah. But then to like to just think of the people that we haven't met yet that we're going to have on this podcast. So we're going to have these amazing conversations that really make us reflect on what we do every day as marketers. It's kind of like one of those things where I've seen a, a quote saying you haven't even met all the people that are going to love you yet. Like, I love that quote so much, but um, that's great. You know, we haven't even met some of the amazing people that we're going to have on the podcast over the next hundred episodes. And I, I gotta say, I'm excited for the ride. I'm excited to learn more. I'm excited to see where marketing goes from now until then. And then of course, further on, I think we have a lot to look forward to. And I think that we're going to make this thing pretty freaking amazing because <laughs> even is it even amazing or yeah oh, it's uh, so amazing <laughs> i definitely this season we've had more people on that we didn't know yeah um, and that's going to carry on and um it's a testament to like people wanting to be on you know to people asking us i do get a lot of inquiries that we, yeah that i don't i follow up on because i feel like every not every person's going to be right but also i really right. what i really like about this season is that we're not just talking about marketing we're talking about business and life and and how they yeah. intersect and whether you're a marketer or not i think you can still get a ton of value from the show and i'd like to keep that up i'd like to keep up yeah. evergreen content i mean tactical stuff is maybe not the right place or on a podcast where you you know you want people to to be able to listen back and and still get value so i look forward yeah. to that yeah, I, I agree with you on a lot of those, um, on some of those topics, you know, the, like the, you know, the harmony in your, you know, harmony in your job that we did with Candace, you know, some of those other things, inclusion and diversity and all those kinds of things are, are, are topics that you don't really think go into marketing, but on a psychological and a spiritual kind of level, they really do feed into it. Because when you think about how you feel in your job, whether you're a marketer, whether you're just somebody who's constantly representing the brand that you work for, these things factor in and they're right. a pretty big deal. So yeah, we've covered some great stuff and I honestly can't even fathom what we're going to do next, but I'm really excited to be there for it. Me too. And to be there with you. Thank you, my friend. Oh, my friend, Megan, I love you. <laughs> I love you too. All right, <laughs> y'all, let's get in to episode 100. Woo-hoo. 
Welcome to season five of the Making a Marketer podcast with your hosts, Megan Powers with Event Marketing Partners and Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Gretemann Group and Xstand. This show is for all levels of experience talking marketing and business with the best guests in the industry. It's important to keep up on the latest trends and topics and this is just the spot. Two guarantees, you will learn and laugh. Here we go. So for our 100th guest, it had to be someone massive in personality and reputation. Of course, she's actually tiny and we hear her houses. Also, someone who not only talks the marketing talk, but walks the marketing walk. In stellar style, by the way, though, you can't see it because it's audio podcast if you're listening on the podcast, who we can all learn from and learn more about. Jen and I are thrilled to welcome you to number 100 with Content Marketing Maven and Hanley. Welcome, Anne. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. That's so generous of you. Although style maven, I don't know about that because right now my entire ensemble is sponsored by Patagonia. So, you know, it's not exactly, <laughs> not exactly stylish, but uh, on stages, you, you have yeah. the best look yeah. on stage. That's for sure. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And I was going to say, that's what you get in January in Boston, right? You get <laughs> straight up, straight up police. So here we are. Fully understand that. All right. I am going to read your bio for those who might not know what you're all about. As the world's first chief content officer, Anne Hanley speaks and writes about how you can rethink the way your business markets. Cited in Forbes as the most influential woman in social media, recognized by Forbes Women as one of the top 20 women bloggers, Anne is the chief content officer of Marketing Profs, a training company that empowers marketers internationally with the skills they need to drive success at their companies. She's a speaker, author, and member of the LinkedIn Influencer Program. She's author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller on business writing, Everybody Writes, and the co-author of the best-selling book on content marketing, Content Rules, How to Create Killer Blogs, Podcasts, Videos, Ebooks, Webinars, and more that engage customers and ignite your business. A pioneer in digital marketing, Anne is the co-founder of ClickZ.com, which was one of the first sources of digital marketing news and commentary. And as she mentioned, she's based in Boston. Although I don't hear the accent so much with you. Did you, are you not a native? (laughs) No, actually I am a native. I live about five miles from where I grew up, but no, I I don't have much of a Boston accent. All right. Not sure why. Just don't. That's all right. Proper English. It's all good. (laughs) All right, Jen, you want to kick us off? Yes, I'm so excited. So Anne, you know, I have a journalism background. We'd love to hear how you think journalism has changed with the explosion of digital. And what was the hardest thing about starting the company Click Z? Hmm. You know, journalism has changed a whole lot from when I started my career in it. So just out of school, I mean, my very first job, I worked on a WordPress typewriter. No, what was it called? Was it WordPress? WordPress, WordPerfect. I forget actually what it was called. Word, Word was, it Word Perfect? Yeah. was it WordPerfect? Jeez, so. that's, that's reaching <laughs> way back. Anyway, yeah, it was kind of the, one of the very first computers, which is not so much a commentary about you know how long ago I started my career, although maybe that's part of it. But the other reason why that this newspaper that I started my career was woefully underfunded. <laughs> and so at a point when lots of other newspapers and magazines were going digital, this publication still had a few more years to go. So yeah, working on a typewriter, it was different you know, at, at that time. When I think about how long it took things to go from your brain to the world, you know, back then it, it took a, a very long time. First, somebody had to write it, you know, me as a writer at this newspaper, I had to write it. Then it had to go physically through an editor who would edit it longhand, in her case, you know, using a pen and paper. Then it went to the typesetter who had to type all the edits in. Then it a galley came back to us for proofing. And then it went to the production area for for pay stuff. They literally had a wax machine that they had melted wax in and they would physically cut these galleys and run them to the wax machine and stick them to large cardboard pieces. At the end of that whole process, um, it would go by courier to the printer. And then the next day, the printer would deliver them back to our office and then they would distribute it. So that whole process took a solid week. 
Now think wow. about that now. I know it's crazy when I think about yes. it now, but think about, you know, all of that has been compressed right now. Of course, you know, our thoughts and images and feelings are just all out on the internet, you know, within minutes. But I actually think that training that I had to that slower process of publishing gave me a different respect, I think, for the publishing process and about what an audience deserves or what an audience needs. Because when you had the luxury of a week between the first time that you type something and the time that an audience reads it, there's a lot of checkpoints along there. There's a lot of things that happen. There's lots of opportunities to say, is this really not only the best way to express something, but should we be saying this? Or maybe should the spin be this? And so I think that now, you know, fast forward 30 years and that foundation that I had in thinking about the audience first and what does the audience truly need, that was the biggest thing that I think I, I took away from that period. Now, of course, I have to do it much faster. We all have to do it much faster. And <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good thing generally. But yeah, I think about just the the ability to stop and pause and reflect on what does an audience need. We've sort of lost that. And I think it's incumbent on all of us as writers, as communicators to make sure that we insert that step because the world is moving faster and faster. The world is not <laughs> going to insert that step for you like it did for me when I started my career. So now we have to insert that step. Wow. That is it's so wild to sit here and think about how instant things are now compared to that week. It's such a different way of living, like a completely different way of living, especially if you're in the profession. Yeah. So wild to think about that. I know, 100%. You know, I mean, I'm glad that it's not like that anymore. You know, I've built my career in digital publishing, right? First in newspapers and then later, you know, when the internet happened, starting ClickZ. So, you know, I'm glad that it, that it's evolved the way that it has. But I do think that there's some value in remembering, you know, that we need to make room in that process for the audience. I realized I didn't answer the second part of your question. Now I've completely forgotten what it was. But it was about <laughs> something about ClickZ. What, what was it again? Sorry. Yeah, it was what was the hardest thing about starting the company Oh boy. I don't know about the hardest thing. I mean, it was such an exciting time. You know, it was such an exciting time in in the evolution of online and the evolution of the internet and the evolution of digital. So in some ways, I don't know that there was anything hard about it as much as there was this frenzy around that time during that period. You know, we started Clixie in 1997 and sold it in 2000. So we grew it for three years. And in those three years, we grew Clixie's subscriber base from zero to 50,000 subscribers. So in wow. other words, 50,000 people were on our email list, which at that moment in time in 2000, when we sold Clixie, felt like it was enormous. Yeah. It was 50,000 people. <laughs> Holy wow. Now, of course, you know, I look at marketing profs, we have 650,000 subscribers. Wow. Um, I have more than 50,000 followers and connections on LinkedIn, you know, so it's mm -hmm. the, the world was so much smaller back then. It was really an exciting time. I mean, I loved it. You know, maybe the hardest thing for me personally was that my kids were very young and I measure the evolution of digital media, I guess, through my daughter. My daughter was born in 1997, so she's 25. She just turned 25 years old, and I started ClickZ when she was just three months old. And so, when I think oh about, goodness. you know, yeah, when I think about at that point, it was, it was, you know, it was a little bit of a. I mean, I must have been crazy when I think about it now. But um, <laughs> well, but and on dial-up modem too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy moly! Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, but maybe that was hard. But of course, it wasn't really that hard because it was such an exciting time and I had and it was just you know I wouldn't trade it for the world really Fantastic. amazing right? that's actually a good segue up into yeah. my next question is so cut to today 2022 <laughs> and all the things you're doing author speaker content officer tell us about marketing profs is your is your main squeeze can you like mm -hmm. share with our listeners what a day in the life looks like for Miss Ann Hanley Oh boy. Yeah. So yeah, marketing profs is my day job. I guess you could call it that. I'm chief content officer there, which means that anything that we publish or produce is through me, essentially. You know, I it's funny because when I talk about what I do now, it sounds so, 
what's the word? I don't know. It sounds so hands off, you know, because it is like there's I don't physically touch anything at marketing props anymore necessarily. Like I don't directly produce or create anything on my own. You know, back when I joined marketing props, I'm not the founder of marketing props. I was actually I joined the founder as his partner in 2002. So when I joined, I was the only content person. I was the only production person. I was doing all of it. But now, of course, you know, fast forward 20 years and there are other people here at Marketing Profs who do the things that I used to do. So when I describe what I do in the course of a day, it's a lot of conversations, it's a lot of meetings, it's a lot of, you know, what's up with this project over here, like just like, you know, any anybody else, I guess. And that's in part why, just to segue into the other half of my career, that's in part why I launched my own email newsletter three years ago, because I didn't have a feeling of making anything entirely on my own anymore. And I really miss that tactile relationship with the thing that you're creating, but also that direct connection to the audience. Because that's the thing, right? The, the further you get along in your career, the less you touch things because you know you have bigger responsibilities and your, your responsibilities become broader and, and more far-reaching. You're much more focused on growing the business than you are on creating the thing. And so I missed that opportunity to just create the thing that was entirely my own. And I missed that connection. I missed that learning that happens almost organically when you are growing an audience and communicating with them and really understanding the mindset of the marketer, the creator, the writer that I was speaking to on a regular basis, which in the ecosystem of all that I do, it was enormously helpful to me. And so that's why I launched that. It's under the AnnHanley.com you know, uh, brand, I guess, just like a lot of the speaking and, and that I do and, and the books that I write are under that kind of brand as, as well. So yeah, well, and I live it every other Sunday. And I know that if I I can't, if I don't have time to read it right then, I, it, there's always going to be valuable no matter when I, I get around to reading it. In fact, I don't think I have deleted one. <laughs> if I search your name in my Yahoo email, I'm like, that, they're <laughs> all there. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah. And you know, you have such a lively, passionate, fun voice, you know, like you can tell, you can, you can hear it on stage. I remember your final keynote at social media marketing world back in 2020. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal, by the way, but you can, you can also hear you speak when you read your materials. And I think that that is something so valuable, but it's a good segue into my question, which, you know, knowing that you have such a lively and inspiring brand voice, my question is, because even though you're amazing, but we know you're still human, when you have uh, days when you're not quite feeling yourself, how do you maintain the energy and stay consistent with that lively, fun brand messaging of yours? Mm. Yeah, you know, I don't think that my voice is necessarily tied to me having to be happy and in a good mood and feeling in control. You know, there's plenty of times that I've written almost anything that that newsletter in particular or posted to social for example where i'm you know i'm not really feeling it like i'm not really in it yeah and i think that's okay like i think that's part of showing up as yourself right i mean i think i would set speaking aside from that for a minute because i you know i do think that when you show up on stage you know you've got to bring it no matter what is going on yeah. in your life no matter what conversation you might have had that morning with somebody that upset you when, you know, I don't know, no matter how long the coffee line was, like it doesn't matter, <laughs> like all of that, it doesn't matter because you are there in service to the audience. And, and so it's your job to inspire and to bring it and to not let all that other stuff transfer to them. Right. So, right. so I guess I would set that apart for a minute, but I think it's a little different in writing. And it's funny that you say that, you know, like my newsletters are fun or that my writing persona is uplifting. Like, I do think I'm generally an upbeat person and I'm pretty happy yeah. and I'm pretty, pretty inspired what I, by what I do. I love what I do and I love the opportunity to communicate with an audience. But I also try to be pretty honest with how I'm feeling at any moment, you know? So I don't know, like I'm thinking about just a few examples of, you know, using the newsletter as an example for a minute, like a few examples where I've haven't necessarily been in a great place. Like I remember one where I I came from um, a funeral from one of my favorite aunts had passed away and I came from her funeral and I realized I had to write this newsletter and it was like, ugh, like, I don't think there's any reason that you have to try on that sort of jovial mindset if you're not feeling it. But, you know, I do think you've got to, you know, communicate in a way that's honest. And even when you're honest, like there's still these moments of humor, right? And I mean, I guess this yeah. is one thing that I'm, 
I'm good at it. It's just finally finding those moments of, of humor in sometimes dark situations. So yeah, so maybe that's why it feels fun and light, but I, you know, I'm not necessarily always that way. Just like nobody is really right. Right. Yeah. Amazing. You can tell a good story without whether you're up or down, it could still be yeah. a story. And I yeah. think that's yes. what comes through. Yes. Yes. I, I do think that's absolutely true. Yeah, for sure. I don't think that the, like, I don't think that the root of a good story is necessarily being in a good mood, right? Of course, the, the root of a good story is just something real that happened. And I think as long as you anchor your storytelling mm-hmm. there, you know, I think that's, that's true of probably everybody here listening, that if you anchor your storytelling something real and true and raw, then people will react to it. But also, like, I also think the other piece of that is making it fun to read. Like no one wants to read about my miserable day, you know, but I think what makes it relevant for the audience, and this goes back to what we started our, our time today speaking to is, you know, why does the audience care? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Nobody reads me because of a hunger to applaud, right? They don't necessarily want to know what an amazing writer I am. Like, that's not, you know, that's not why I'm there. I'm there to impart some something valuable to them. And so, I always try to remember that no matter, no matter what, because that's the other piece of that. That's the other piece of of the storytelling. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. As I was uh, preparing for this talk with you today, I Googled content marketing and I found many different things and definitions. And so (laughs) I want to read this to you and kind of get your take on it. It said the content marketing is not the same thing as marketing with content. It is customer focus, answering important customer questions and meeting their needs and challenges. So first, do you agree with that? And then also, you know, if you do, how do you know if you're meeting their needs and challenges? Content marketing is not the same as marketing with content. That feels to me like something that, you know, people just trying to stand on the words, you know, I don't know. That's really a weird. (laughs) How do you know if you're meeting listeners, viewers, readers needs? Yeah. I mean, I think that the most important thing is really understanding who you're speaking to and why the content you're producing should matter to them. Um, that to me is the underpinning of all content marketing. It's the underpinning of, of anything that's truly valuable to your customer is who, who are they truly? And then how does your product or service or anything that you publish or produce fit into their lives? So it's not about you, it's about how you help others. And that's why I have talked a lot about, you know, it's important to make the customer the hero of your story, right? So it always has to be about the customer. How do you help them? How do you shoulder their burdens? How do you meet their needs? How do you make their life a little bit easier? And I think that's true whether you sell chewing gum or whether you sell routers, like it just doesn't matter. I think those fundamentals are are true throughout everything that you do. So that's how I think about content marketing. I think increasingly, like almost anything that we do in marketing has some kind of content component to it. So increasingly what I see is, and actually where I thought you were going with this content marketing definition was, I thought you were going to say something like that content marketing is marketing. And I was going to say, heck yes, I agree a hundred percent because I think <laughs> that almost anything that we do in marketing these days will we'll automatically have a, a content component to it. And I think content is, you know, a whole lot uh, more closely aligned with marketing more generally than a lot of us might think about. Like, I don't see content marketing as a separate thing. Right. It's like an umbrella. No? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. There's like, there's now community-based marketing and account-based marketing. (laughs) There's all these different like lanes. um, And it also, it always cracks me up when I read a a job description too, that encompasses all of it. Like, wow, as one person, it will be really hard. Right. Yeah, that's true. I read a job description the other day that said that was looking for, I'm not even kidding you, 35 years of content marketing experience. And I thought, who has that? I mean, I can maybe count on my like one hand, not even two hands, just one hand, the number of people who I know personally who have 35 years of content marketing experience. And I thought that's such like a funny way of looking for a senior leadership role, right? 35 years. I'm like, wow, that's very specific and very rare. I can't think of a single person. You know, I don't even have 35 years. So that's just kind of nuts. Right. Or 20 years of social media experience. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll get there. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Awesome. So we do, of course, have more questions for you, but we like to take a brain break in the middle of the show. And today the question is, if you could meet anyone in the world who, ha- who you haven't already met, who would it be? And why, Jen, you want to go first? Yep. I got mine. I finally got mine. Mine was not that hard. It's Jimmy Fallon. And the reason I, I just I freaking love to meet Jimmy Fallon uh-huh. is because he has somebody 
that ever since when he was just, you know, in movies and on Saturday Night Live, he's always had this like kind of authenticity, you know, can't hold back my laugh kind of air to him. I love how he took to The Tonight Show, you know, his little bobblehead of Stefan um, from SNL and his energy when he interviews people is just something that I feel like he might not know the guests very well at first. And I, I feel this a lot of the time when I'm interviewing people too. And so I think that that's why I would love to meet Jimmy Fallon. By the time he is done with that interview and by his time with that person, every single night, he is so excited about them and he just loves them to death and they're best friends. And I'm just like, huh, another person like that out in the world, I have to meet him. He is phenomenal and he's so happy and real. And I just, well, I love seeing that on TV. And that's how our guests feel after they get off. Off our show. So. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> that's rad. I love me some Jimmy. And what about you? So that's interesting. I uh so I was gonna say that the person I would most love to meet is Tina Fey, but I've actually already met Tina Fey. It was a brief like drive-by meeting backstage at content marketing world. So oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can use her because I feel like it was just kind of a, like I said, it was a drive by. There was no substantive conversation there. So maybe if the question is, who would you want to have coffee with? A meal with. Or, or, yeah. A yeah. meal with. Yeah. And then it would be Tina because I felt like I respect her not only as a performer, but also as okay. a writer. And she also has this vibe about her, this essence that she feels introverted. And so she... <laughs> feels like somebody who I would you need to spend a little time with to get to know a little bit like a a drive-by is not gonna I'm not gonna cut it now conversely I also met Mindy Kaling in a very same same situation it was a total drive-by like meet and greet you know behind the (laughs) stage you know you can go through take a photo smile and move on right but Mindy Kaling I felt like it was so comfortable in that environment that I feel like I actually did meet her like we exchanged a few (laughs) words she's like oh you know I like your dress I'm like I like dress like I feel like that was you know uh-huh. we had a moment but with Tina it was a little bit like I felt her awkwardness and her on she felt uncomfortable to me and I was like I don't know like it made my heart go out to her in a sense that you know I I really would love to spend a little bit more time so yeah so those would be my or she I guess she would be mine if it had to be somebody that I have not met at all it would be Amy Poehler yes which love Amy Poehler <laughs> for so many reasons but I just finished listening to her book yes please her autobiography came out a couple of years ago but I and so having her voice in my head every time I was walking my dog you know for the past couple of days it's just been you know so enjoyable and she's hilarious yes but also very thoughtful and that combination of a thoughtful strong female who is also funny and is kind of self-aware but not too excruciatingly self-aware is just somebody who is like a personality like that I really connect with. So yeah, so that, that gives you three. Choose from any of those. I love, <laughs> I love that. Those are great options. Well, I was struggling between two. So I'm going to stick with the, with the SNL theme and go with, because Phil Collins is like my all time. He's that, like, if you could be on a deserted island with one person, he's that guy. But I'm going to say David Spade. I'm sorry, not David Spade, Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey. I said they starting a new podcast together. So that's why I had uh, David Spade on the brain. But Dana Carvey spent, I guess, his formative years in Northern California. And I thought he went to a high school near my high school. But anyway, he follows me on Twitter. So (laughs) that's amazing. um, That was very exciting. But he also has, as a podcaster, I love a good podcast. And he has a podcast called Fantastic. And they haven't published since July, but he says it's coming back. But he is just so funny and down to earth. And like, I mean, he could make anything entertaining, absolutely anything. So (laughs) I love me some Dana Carvey, the church lady. That is special. (laughs) Fantastic. All right, Jen, I let's kick out the I, second half. <laughs> well, I'm still gushing over all of those answers. Oh, what a fun little break that was. All right. So maintaining creativity and innovation can sometimes be a challenge when you're having a, a writer's block moment, which we've all, we've all had. How have you busted through that in the past and uh, refined your content planning process? So that's interesting. I would challenge you on that a little bit. I don't think writer's block is really a thing. And I think that when we say we have writer's block, it's usually something else, right? It's usually that we just don't know what to write or we just can't think of a way to approach it. You know, for example, like, you know, a contractor never gets two by four block, right? I mean, a plumber doesn't get, doesn't get 
plumbing block. I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen. And so I think if you can, you know, we need to reframe that because in my mind, like writer's block is not something that, that really exists. I don't think that it's something that most of us really get. I usually think it's indicative of another issue, another problem, which may be legit, but I just don't think of it as blocked. So the way yeah, that, that I get around sense. Yeah. The way that I get around any any moment where I'm feeling kind of uninspired is essentially by I've developed a practice. So what I mean by that is that I tried for years and years and years to keep a daily journal and I never could do it. It just never worked for me for various reasons. Like when I was a kid, my parents and relatives, like they were forever giving me diaries, right? Like a little girl, kind of bookish said I wanted to be a writer from a very young age. Like a diary is an obvious choice. It's like, oh, she obviously is the kind of kid who's going to want to write. But I always found it like excruciatingly boring. Even when I was a little kid, like I used to think this is so dull. What am I doing? Who am I writing to? What's the (laughs) point of this? So from that early age, I was never able to really sustain that kind of habit. And what changed for me was that one day about three years ago, so relatively recently, I decided I really do need to figure out like, how do I develop this writing muscle? How do I do it? consistently all the time so that I don't, when I sit down to write a newsletter or work on a talk or create any piece of content, I don't have that sort of feeling of, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach this. So what happened for me and what really helped was having that daily journal as a kind of guide. And what shifted, the reason why suddenly I was able to do it is because I went from thinking about it as an opportunity to write to myself, which again, was the part that I always found incredibly boring. Like, why do I have to do this? No one's ever going to read this. It felt like work. (laughs) Just felt like, what's the point? And I just never connected with it. So I changed it from writing about things that happened in my thoughts and feelings to writing stories and writing things that happened that delighted me or that made me laugh or that I thought was kind of curious or just weird stuff, you know? So in other words, I shifted from thoughts and emotions and feelings, which is what I always thought you had to journal about to think of it a little bit more broadly. Like I need to capture just stuff that goes on in my life. That's ridiculous. Like all of us throughout the day, (laughs) we have ridiculous stuff that goes on. Right. Um, And so I captured that kind of thing. The argument that I witnessed at the post office between a guy standing in line, there's like 40 people behind him and he's arguing about you know, the price of an international stamp, stuff like that, I think is just so (laughs) hilarious. And the way that the guy, the postal worker behind the counter dealt with him, which was very badly because postal workers, you know, he was not having it. Like he was just like fed (laughs) up with every single person on the planet. I mean, it was like that kind of thing, the exchange, the dynamic, the way that people were huffing in line. Like I will use that someday, somewhere, I don't know where, but you know, at some point. So that's the kind of story that I write down. It's almost like you could like put together this coffee table book type of situation where it's like life lessons from Anne Hanley. And it's just like all those kinds of crazy things that happen that are everyone's like, yeah, I've seen this before. And then also like the lesson we can learn from here is la 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 la, you know, something that would be entertaining, but so relatable. I love that idea. And it brings value to yourself and to everyone else. Yeah, it does. Because it also, it does two things. First of all, it gives me this kind of psychic satisfaction of knowing that I'm writing every single day, which is really what I always tried to do, but never could quite do it until I retooled the way that I thought about it. So that's the first thing it does. But the second thing it does, it gives me a lot of this ready-made repository of stories, right? And so there's not a single email newsletter. There's not a single talk that I've given on stage in the past like three years. It's not a single, you know, essay or article that I've written that hasn't started in one of those journals because that's the place where stories live now. That's where I put all my stories. And so it becomes a really incredibly rich database for me as a way to to find those stories. Like one of the questions I always get after a talk is like, where did you come up with that story? Well, it's like, usually there's a piece of it that I observed or something happened in my life. And that's kind of where it starts, which isn't to say that all my talks are about me. They're not. But sometimes there are shreds of things that you can pull in from your daily life, from just walking through the world, from some interaction on Twitter. I mean, it could be anything that ultimately will make its way into my journal and ultimately make its way into some other piece of content, whether it's a talk, whether it's a newsletter, whether it's an essay, whether it's a guest post somewhere, like that's where it all, like that to me is that peat moss, you know, for for stories. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. That motivates me and excites me. It's amazing. (laughs) Such a great idea. And I love like the repurpose, um, you know, kind of thing that you can do with it. That's just, oh, it's so enlightening. Thank you for sharing. 
Yeah, a little insight into your brain. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that was like a peek behind the curtain. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to get a little bit more. I don't know what the word is. I read also that content marketing creates a financial asset, which I find to be really interesting sort of way to look at it. This kind of goes to what we spoke with your friend, Dan Gingis about, you know, how do you prove ROI on customer experience? And so how can we, do you think, directly track revenue against content or in other words, as you like to say, achieve tangible results? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first thing is to really think about what your goal is, which sounds so elemental and so basic, but I find that when content marketers aren't getting the results they need, it's because they haven't really thought through, you know, what the goal is and also worked with senior leadership, you know, their boss, their client, you know, whatever the case may be, to make sure that it aligns with the bigger goals of the business. So those two things, figuring out what your goal is and making sure that that, that goal maps to the business. The other thing is that I think that there are so many ways to think about content throughout the so-called marketing funnel, right? So it's not just about increasing awareness, so measuring things like page views and some kind of top of mind metrics. You know, I also think that there are opportunities to drive signups for for email newsletters, for webinars, some opportunities to get somebody more deeply involved in interaction with somebody on a chatbot, like all of those things. So I think we need to think through all of those opportunities and figure out what's meaningful to the company and again, what maps, what maps to the business. You know, it's not rocket science, but I, I think it just requires a little bit of thought and a little bit of digging and some conversations internally to align those goals throughout the organization. Yeah. Well, and I think it, things have changed. I think, you know, maybe like 10 years ago, executives couldn't really see that that blog post is going to be valuable or mm -hmm. see all of the work. And then I, that I have a friend who grew his business. I mean, he churning out blog posts and he has all his businesses inbound, all of it based on this great content they're putting out, it is like a kind of a patience thing, right? Like mm -hmm. you can't expect an yes. immediate return on this content that you're putting out and you can't just yeah, always be selling within it, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's the other thing too. I, I don't think that it it's nothing that's going to happen immediately, just like no relationship happens immediately. Right. And so I think if you can reframe content as a mechanism for growing that relationship with your customer, with your audience and honing that relationship over time and in deepening the connection with that person, you know, that's, I think, such a sweet spot for content. But, you know, again, it doesn't happen immediately. Right. It, it doesn't happen right away, except with you two, obviously. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Building <laughs> trust. I mean, that's building that's trust. Thing, right? right. Exactly. Sure. Um, yeah, exactly. Awesome. All right. So how do you think someone should gauge the amount of content a brand should be distributing? Like, what are some key things that you like to tell people to look for when having conversations about like quantity, cadence, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> the reason I ask this is for the people that are like over, like, you know, kind of over consuming content from certain brands or certain people all the time. Like there's a point where it's just enough is enough. And so my question is, how do you, yeah, literally, how do you gauge, you know, whether you're succeeding or if you're, you're going a little bit too far? Yeah. I mean, listen to your audience, you know, what is your audience telling you? So I think that's the first part of it, if you are oversaturating your audience, then I think that'll become clear pretty quickly. You know, things like in an, in an email newsletter or in an in email in general, like, you know, your open rates will start to decline, your unsubscribe yeah. rates will start to increase, <laughs> you know, so there's some basic things like that, that I think that you can look at. So yeah, I think your audience will, will tell you that's where, you know, use the tools at your disposal, figure out what is what's your audience feeling about you right now. But the second piece of that too, is I think we need to look at ourselves, you know, what are we able to create on a consistent basis that's valuable for the people we care the most about. So thinking about our own capacity to generate the quality that we know we are capable of, like that yeah. is, is kind of where I'd start. I think that there is this idea that, well, we, we publish a blog twice a week. You know, we publish an email newsletter once a week. We have something go up on Facebook three times a week. We publish to LinkedIn four times a week. Like, and so, so brands get really caught up in following this calendar. But I think it's yeah. a lot less 
important to think about, you know, sort of the best practices or the, the schedules of, of other brands or, you know, whatever somebody like me will tell you than it is to look at what your capacity is to generate interesting content. Right. Um, yeah. I feel like if so many brands started there, like, I don't care if I only hear from a brand that I love every week as opposed to three times a week, as long as that uh-huh. weekly missive is, is really valuable to me. Now, conversely, I'm a subscriber to a new, an email newsletter called CB Insights. And CB Insights is a, a data technology company. They play in like the startup space, in the, the VC-funded space. And one of the things that I love about their newsletter is that it comes every single workday. And I read it every almost every mm-hmm. single workday. You know, at least I, I'll glance at it and, and open it. And so why do I, why is that, it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming to me where something from another brand would feel overwhelming to me. It's because it's truly relevant to what I care about and what I do, and it's written in a way to engage me. So CB Insights has figured out that we can produce quality newsletters every single business day, and they do it. Whereas I think a lot of other brands aren't able to to lift themselves to that to that yeah. bar. And so they publish anyway. And that's kind of where you start to get into trouble. You know? Exactly. That's where you're like, well, should I even bother opening this? Like it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yesterday exactly. was nothing. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. And then there's like all the text messages, you know, there's one brand. I love the brand, but they text me like every day, <laughs> you know, and yeah. there's always like a yes. sale or a Vogo or whatever. And I'm like, dude, yes. I already know. Cause I get your email. Stop it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate to really call out other brands, you know, because I honestly feel like so many marketers are just doing their best. Right. <laughs> it's yeah, like, right. Yeah. and I, and so I hate to, to be like that person who's like, well, this brand, you can't believe how bad this was, but <laughs> I won't name names just because there is behind this program was probably a marketer just doing their best. Yeah. And an executive just telling them to like keep churning out the content. Right. So I bought a, a jacket for my little dog, Augie, who is here with us during this conversation and from this outdoors company. And I was thinking, you know, he really needs boots because he keeps burning. Like, you know, I live in Boston. There's a lot of salt on the roads. He kept burning his little feet on the sidewalk. And so I thought, you know, I really need to get him something to protect his, his feet. Started searching around for it. Well, this company that I bought the dog coat from was my first choice, but they harassed me. <laughs> Like they harassed me in my inbox to within an inch of my life where I was like, oh my (laughs) Lord, friends, you need to just calm down. Instead of just giving me the information that I needed, they kept reminding me because I went to this website and because some marketing automation platform told them that I was interested in dog boots and I got, I'm not in like one email a day, I would have been okay. But three, four, at one point I counted five emails with the same little pair of dog boots and I thought, oh boy, yeah, that's. Uh, so I unsubscribed, which is a bummer, you know, because I really like this brand. But yeah, exactly. um, again, I don't I don't blame the marketers. I, I don't know where accountability lies ultimately, because I don't know that company well enough. But, yeah. you know, my experience with marketers is that most of them, you know, are again, are just trying their best. We're <laughs> all just out here just doing our best in 2022. And um, I don't want to get down on them. But, you know, I think we know when we experience those situations. And certainly I know when, you know, when I've done it from time to time, and it's a little bit like, oof. so yeah. <laughs> yeah, learning is fun. Sure. Okay, so we are close to the end. We are, um, we've got just a couple more questions. Can I ask you about NFTs? What your thoughts are on the this creator economy? <laughs> oh man, um, <laughs> Jen and I are just kind of like, what is that? What? Yeah, I'm just on. To figure this out. <laughs> Should I pay attention to that? I don't know. Oh my, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, I launched a, a token. I launched my own coin. What's it? Maybe six months ago or something like that. And you know, I do think it's it's interesting and it's valuable to experiment with and to play with it. But what I feel is similar to what you feel is that I'm a little confounded by by the attention that NFTs get of, and I'm just not sure what are they, what are people actually buying? You know, I'm just like, I get what it is. It's like, you know, you own this digital version of this thing that no one else exists. But the problem is a lot of the stuff that I see, I just, I don't want to own that. So (laughs) I'm just (laughs) like, where's the value here? The big, and I don't know about you guys, but like I've never been a collector, you know. So maybe that's part of it. Uh-huh. It's just like I've never okay. played baseball cards. I've never collected. I don't know. Like, what are the other things that people collect? Like, that's just never been what I do. You know, like I don't. Mm-hmm. I've just been never been one of those people. So I've, I don't I've know, maybe collected if, keychains my whole life. 
Oh, really? But that's a physical <laughs> thing. Like to yeah. me, that's a physical thing. I can look at it all at once and I can, I can have like satisfaction in that. I've gotten yeah. a keychain from every single city I've traveled to. Like that's kind of been my thing that, that got started with mm. my parents buying me one when they went on a trip, but digitally, mm. I don't know, man. Like it's all just like in a yeah. file. Like, what are you, I can't touch yeah. it. I can't do anything with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm very much, I'm curious about it just as I am curious about a lot of things that I see that I yeah. don't fully, you know, understand or, or maybe don't fully get, you know, I would never say that I think it's, it's silly or stupid or dumb, but I also don't think that it's necessarily something that I would do anytime soon, but I'm very interested in, in seeing, you know, what happens with that. Like with my own yeah. word coin, you know, that's been really gratifying to give people an opportunity to trade it, you know, with other people and for me to be able to give it to people as a kind of reward and a thank you. So that's basically how I use it. You know, I know lots of other people who are integrating it more specifically in their business and I've seen them do it with great success. Part of my challenge is I just flat out don't have the time to really invest in doing that super well. And so yeah. I feel like I dabble. I, I feel like very much a dabbler in that space as opposed to somebody who's truly embraced the opportunity there. And, you know, like I, I have some friends who are truly embracing the opportunity and they're doing some really impressive things. So, yeah, you know, to that, that's why I, I and there are people I, re, I like and respect. And so for that reason, I wouldn't say like I, it's silly and it's ridiculous. It's not at all. Um, I just don't think it's for me right now. Yeah, yeah that totally, totally makes yeah. sense everything isn't for everyone. <laughs> so that's why yeah. I'm like, well, this doesn't appeal to me. Am I just like not learning enough about this or am I missing yeah. something? But yeah, to hear some other people say it might not be, you know, for me, then that makes sense. Mm. <laughs> but then you're yeah. also like the other side of the coin is you need to be an early adopter. You need to know everything. You need to, blah, blah, blah. you know, there's, <laughs> there's those people right. too. And you're like, Ooh, I think I'm going to pick my thing and stay and stay in my lane, preferably, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> or I'm going to awesome. take over the world. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'd like to ask yeah. our guests what business book that they would recommend to our listeners. It's always fun when it is, and when the person is also an author. So not your mm. book, but what's a what's a good business book that you would recommend our our listeners check out? Mm. So I have two. The first is by my friend David Merriman Scott, "The New Rules of Marketing and PR." And I list that one only because if you have not read it, and a lot of people have, because it's an international bestseller, it's been translated into, I don't know, a jillion languages. So a lot of people do know the book. But, but if you don't know it, I think it's probably one of the, the best books on the new world in which we find ourselves marketing in. Um, it's the book that I read that completely changed the way that I thought about marketing. And I actually credit it for the reason why I am still in marketing. It's the first book that I really started to see the connection between content that I was producing and building an audience and what every marketer and every business is suddenly charged with. So New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Merriman Scott is my first one. My second one, can I have two? Is that a, Absolutely. Is that a thing? Sure. I'm, yeah. We're going to do two. Second one is Lynchpin by Seth Godin. So many of Seth's books are amazing, right? I, I really have a lot of respect for not only Seth's longevity in this industry, but, but also just his, he's just so prolific, blogging every day, podcast, teaching, training, books, all kinds of things. But the reason why I think that Lynchpin is, is the book that was important to me and that I would encourage anybody to read is because my biggest takeaway from that is at some point you have to shift. I am the kind of person who will tweak and put off the deadline and keep hunting that deadline further and further out. But Seth's book ultimately taught me that the most important part of any creative person and any creator is to put a date when you're going to ship something, circle it in red ink, post it above your desk, and do not let that date pass until you've shipped. And so shipping is such an important part of the creative process. And to me, can really spell the difference between somebody who ultimately is able to be a successful creator and somebody who isn't, because you can get really paralyzed by this feeling that it's not good enough, or it could be better, or I could be doing this or that, or maybe I should talk to that person or do a little bit more research. And so this was the book that truly kind of knocked me out of that paralysis and just reminded me that the most important thing ultimately is just to get it out there. Even if you feel like it could always be better, because guess what? It could always be better. Right. Forgive yourself, move on, do better the next time. 
Nice. I have so many blogs that are unpublished. So you just <laughs> feel like that was, that just hit me in the field, like hit me, hit me, hit it home for me. <laughs> um, so I'll have to check that out. So of course I have a ton of good books, but I don't know if I have that one. So I'll have to check it yeah. out. So, Thanks. and I lied. So one final question, are you working on an update to a previous book? Do you have another new book in the works Do you, that you have a published a date for on your calendar. <laughs> What's going on there? So yes, I'm working on a second edition of Everybody Writes right now. And my goal with that is to work on it a, a single chapter every single day. So hopefully by the end of this month, so we're talking on what, January 14th, maybe by the end of the month, I should be done. Maybe, fingers crossed, hopefully. So yeah, second edition of Everybody Writes. And you know, Everybody Writes continues to be, uh, uh, continues to sell really well. But there were a few things in it that I wanted to improve and update. And so I'm taking that opportunity to, to do that, essentially. And also because my thinking has evolved on some of the things that I wrote about in Everybody Writes. So I wanted the opportunity to codify that, you know, in a, in a new edition of the book. So yeah, the so second edition of Everybody Writes, I have a few other books that I have in the back of my brain or in the pages of my journals that have not made it to the light of day yet. But yeah, maybe after I can get, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that can work on two books at a time. So okay. I don't actually know very many people who can do that. So I need to get everybody writes out first. Yeah, you got to focus. I love how uh, bite-sized the chapters are. And I know that was by design and I just really appreciate it. It's funny too, because I, I made a goal of reading a chapter a day of a book. And so then when I got to yours, I was like, hey, this is easy. <laughs> I'm oh, going to read awesome. another and then another and then another. <laughs> that's awesome. So wonderful. Thank you so much, Miss Ann Hanley. I'm so happy that we could make this work and that you are our wonderfully massive <laughs> episode 100 guest. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. All right. And Miss Jen, how about a hundred more? Yes, please. That'd say. be great. Thanks. <laughs> we'll be in season. Maybe we can have you back for uh, season 10, whatever number that brings oh. us to. <laughs> I love All right. it. And I love it. And we appreciate our listeners so, so much. This community that's out there that we haven't really been able to embrace like we should because it's podcast and you're like mystery people, but know that we love and appreciate you. And really, we look forward to, to continuing to do this, to bring more value. If you find value in this podcast, please do us a favor and rate or review us on your platform of choice because that gets it seen and heard by more folks. Okay, y'all, this has been episode 100 of the Making a Marketer podcast, and we will catch you next time.